Welcome to the first season of Arise Esther, a podcast for today's Esthers, women who are ready to rise up in bold, courageous faith like Esther of old, who stepped up to lead when life was tough and hope was dim, but faith was fierce. Hi, I'm Don Scott Damon, your podcast host. I get to talk to some of the most resilient women on the planet, all who've tackled difficult life crises head on and triumphed. Now we're here to help you do the same. So turn it up, Esther. This is your moment. What is up, Esther? I hope you're rocking it this week. I'm excited to share with you this podcast I did with an amazing woman, and you're going to be enthralled with her story. She she talks about her OCD, and she talks about living with such anxiety and how she's overcome it and the shame that she feels from that. She talks about a time when she was homeless as a teenager, and wait till you hear how this ends. It was powerful. So without further ado, I want you to join me in our show, Arise Esther. I'm really excited for you to meet her, which you probably already know all about, Jennifer Slattery. But if not, let me share her bio with you. She's a writer and a speaker who hosts the Faith Over Fear podcast. And boy, don't we need that podcast right now, Faith Over Fear. She's addressed women's groups for so many years, Bible studies and writers across the nation. She's the author of Building a Family, and numerous other titles, and she maintains a devotional blog at Jennifer Slattery. You're going to love this. Jennifer Slattery lives out loud.com. Isn't that great? And she's the founder of Holy Loved Ministries. She's passionate about helping women live in freedom and grace. I am thrilled to have you on the show today. Welcome, Jennifer. Thank you for having me. It is a joy to have you, and I'm excited to just tap into all of the wisdom that God has given you. You have a powerful message to women. How did you get started in feeling like God had called you to to share this message of grace with women? Well, actually, I fought him for a while. So I first, I've written for as long as I could remember, more for my own just kind of processing. And that's been a relationship that's really my way of connecting with Christ. But then in about 2008, I sensed a really clear call and that God wanted me to really pour into my writing. So not just do it as like, this is a hobby, this is a way I can serve the church, but to invest in it. And I, I had a sense, I just knew that he wasn't just calling me to write, he was calling me to be completely transparent. Ah. And that was hard because I am a high school dropout and I went through a period of homelessness in my late teens and, and my early adult years and nobody knew. Nobody knew except for you know people from my past. And I got married. My husband moved me from where I grew up, a small town in northern Washington on the, on the, in the Puget Sound. And he moved me to Nebraska. And I've got this new world and this new life. And my husband was a businessman. He's now retired, but he was a businessman. He comes from a very educated family. In fact, his, his father is a professor. His sister, he has a sister that's a professor who's married to a professor. And 
And here I am in the church and I'm serving and I've got a daughter and I'm, you know, I was the homeschool mom and the Sunday school teacher and the soccer mom. And I carried this sense of shame yes. mm -hmm. because I saw myself as that homeless girl. And I, I never quite got rid of that. And, and I was terrified if I were to ever get published. I mean, I didn't mind so much writing, right? It was just, I didn't want my name to get out. I didn't want anyone to really know me. And then potentially people from my past connect with my present and tell everybody about my story. That was my fear. And that then everybody would discover I was who I believed I was to be. Just this, this worthless, shameful woman. Right. And I thought for sure that all my respectable friends and neighbors and, and church family, I was certain they would reject me, that they would decide that they wanted nothing to do with me. And so I, this was a really, really dark year, Don. It, I, the more I pushed, the more I said no, right. the more distance grew between us. Between because you. every time when God wants you to do something, he, he will keep knocking and knocking and knocking. And, and, you know, if you don't respond, you're ignoring him. So I was the one, it was like, I was stiff arming him. I was pushing him away just because I didn't want to hear it. I didn't want to do it. And then it got to a point where, I mean, it was just, I can't really even describe just the sense of darkness and, and futility I felt during that year. And it got to a point where I was on a run. God always speaks to me on a run, and it seems like. And I said to him, this was, you know, a year later. And I said, what do you want from me? Like, what, what do you want me to do? If you just tell me, I'll do it. Like, that seems really ironic now that I think about it. <laughs> and I sensed in my spirit so, so clearly. I already told you. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, that was probably my clearest line in the sand. Like before that I, I knew, and I had this sense, right? Like in my spirit that that was what God was calling me to do, but it wasn't like this clear, like you are being disobedient. But in that moment, and it was actually, I can still visualize, I'm at a stop sign or the stoplight. And it was just this, I already told you. And I knew that was kind of my, you either obey or you don't obey. Well, it's as if God is saying, there, there's not going to be any further revelation until you obey the last thing that I said. And so God allows that space and that silence, doesn't he, to get our attention where you're finally at the place going, just tell me what you want. But I want to take you back just a moment because you said something yeah. powerful that I want our listeners to grasp. You were dragging an old identity with you and you couldn't... Mm new thing of God until you were ready to relinquish that old identity. That's what the Esther moment is all about, mm -hmm. right? For such a time as this, like mm -hmm. shed the former things of the past and step up into your place. So you're at the stop sign. You're out. I thought you said you were on the run. I'm glad you were just on a run. <laughs> you weren't running. Well, both. Really? Really? You know what? We can say both. <laughs> heard God say, this is what I've called you to. And so was that, that was your moment of surrender at the stop sign. You stopped running. It was both my moment of surrender was also, a, there was a little bit of wrestling there because it, it made no sense to me in my brain where I was like, Lord, why would you choose me? High school dropout. I didn't have a college degree at that time. I do now, but I didn't at that time. 
former homeless girl. And I'm like, Lord, why would you choose me to write and speak for you? Like, wouldn't you at least want someone with a degree, maybe an English degree? That would make more sense in my brain. And again, I sensed in my spirit him saying to me so that everybody knew that no matter what they've done or where they've been, that no one is beyond grace. And it clicked in that moment that it was such that that he was offering me an example or not an example. He was offering an opportunity for me to demonstrate the depths of grace. And it was so beautiful to me in that moment because it shifted off of me and, and it reminded me of grace. Right. Because in that moment you discovered this is bigger than just me and god always chooses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise that's just kind of god's way but what does it mean to live in this grace and how do you daily live in this you know that was such a process and so when i first so let's go back to 1995 when i got married and so i was a i was a believer i actually accepted christ in a little small town trailer home park a woman opened her home to me when i was just this snotty nosed frizzy haired girl who never wore shoes and was probably always dirty <laughs> and she opened her home to a bunch of us kids and i don't remember how old i was because it wasn't like anybody marked the date for me or any but that was the day i learned about jesus and his love and it just had such an impact on me well fast forward and i just life just got crazy and i completely self-destructed in my teen years, but God never left me. And that's hugely important for me. Like he just walked beside me and he pursued me relentlessly through all of that. Well, fast forward, 1995, I get married through largely through my husband. God just really showed me a picture of grace, a picture of Christ. And he began doing such a healing work in me, really deep healing that started. So it was probably a 15 year process of him, like you said, getting rid of that identity of just telling me over and over and over. There was actually a, a period where we moved, my husband, we moved from Southern California to Louisiana. And in that time, there is my husband switched jobs and we had a month in between where we're in hotels. He thought it would be great to go on this like vacation, whatever. And I felt, so here I was, I felt homeless again. Like for him, it's exciting and everything's new. And for me, I felt homeless. God began just, when we would go to, we went to church as we were traveling, we went to all these different churches, which was beautiful in and of itself. But through this, God just, it was like every message went to this, that I, that's not how I see you. That's not how I see you. That's not how I see you. And here's one beautiful, example and this was a second because it's always been moves that have sort of rocked my world and also brought about big pieces of healing but we were then in louisiana my husband went through a period of unemployment and i felt like i was actually right back to a period in my childhood where my my childhood family had gone through a period of unemployment so it's all kind of connected in my brain and i had a friend she didn't know my past she didn't know my story she didn't know my struggle and she invited me to her house right before we're about to move again. And she said, can I sing over you? And this was, and I'm just like, well, yeah, I didn't quite, I mean, it, it kind of threw me. And she sang Alabaster Jar. Are you familiar with that song? 
Yes, I am. I love that song. Beautiful. And it was so, so poignant and perfect. And it just spoke again to me. It was like God was saying, not only, you know, that, that the song talks about, you don't know the cost of my alabaster jar. You don't know what I felt when I laid it at God's feet. Yes. And again, it was God himself speaking over me. Yes. That I was a child of grace. Amen. Well, you know, you're talking about moving and that triggering in you, that deep emotional place. And isn't that the paradox that without the discomfort and the dysregulation of moving, mm -hmm. getting out of your comfort zone, that the healing couldn't take place. And so the thing that you thought was getting you unraveled was the very thing that was bringing more healing to you. And so very often we run from the healing of God and we see like even mm -hmm. the time of this COVID experience that we're mm -hmm. on, we see this as a, as a very difficult time, but the upside is that God is doing a very deep work in our heart. Mm -hmm. I can only imagine, I know what my past is, I can only imagine as a, as a homeless girl, when you say homeless, does that mean you were with parents or were you by yourself homeless? And mm -hmm. that abandonment must have been immense. Well, it was a really confusing time. And, and the story is a little, so when I go back, the timeline is very confused in my brain, like in my memory. I have moments that are very clear, but the rest, like from sixth grade until age 18, it pretty much blurs. And there's like moments that stand out. And so basically things in my world felt chaotic. There was a period where it felt very chaotic. And so I moved in with a friend and she lived outside. It's called Cedar Woolley. So she lived about 20 minutes from where I went to school and she didn't, she wasn't always one to get to school. So she was my ride. I, I didn't have a car at that time. I didn't have my license. And so that was when things started to become, when I started to go downhill and I, you know, and she lived, she was with a single dad. She lived with a single dad. I'm not sure if he even knew I was there because <laughs> I never saw him. And I, in a very short period of time, I went from an honor roll student track I was on track team, cross country team to high school dropout. And I'm going to kind of paint that picture of how uh, a lot of it was my doing, but a lot of it also was not knowing how to really navigate. Like if I look back and I know now as an adult, like there were so many places I could have gone, so many ways I could have received help. And I just didn't, I was navigating on my own. And so I'm, from this one friend, I realized I'm living with this, this girl and I realized pretty quickly I needed a job because, you know, for lunch money and all those things. I mean, she fed me when I was, I didn't have a license. I didn't have a car. And so I'm trying to figure out how to do that. Well, a friend of mine had moved to, it's called Bellingham, Washington, which was 30 minutes away. And she got a job. There was a mall there. The Bellis is called the Bellis Fair Mall. And another friend from track and cross country had moved to Ferndale, which was about 15 minutes from the mall, but had public transit between because my town didn't have transit at that time. So I moved in with this other friend, other friend's family, and I got a job at Bellis Fair. And I somehow, and I'm, I'm really curious as to how I 
got registered for school at Ferndale High. I, cause that completely, like, I don't remember any of that. Maybe I just showed up and, and teachers are like, who is this kid? Cause it was different back then. And I started going, so I'm going to school during the day. I worked at night, but I would close because, you know, I worked evening, the evening shift. And so I closed, I worked at Learner New York and at a mall or at the restaurant. There's a restaurant nearby. So I had two jobs. Well, that meant I got off after the bus had come and gone. And so my ride back home was no longer an option. And so I started staying with coworkers. Well, they were college students. And they often partied, which meant my bedroom was their living room floor. And so there it is. I remember one night in particular, and I'm just, they're just loud and they're dancing and there's music and there's whatever going on. I don't know if they're dancing, but I just remember it was chaos. And I'm laying on the floor and I am needing to get to sleep because I got to get the bus. I had to catch it at 6 a.m. in order to, you know, there's certain times that it ran to Ferndale. It was a 45 minute bus ride. And I think it was like 3 a.m. before it finally quieted down. Then I go to school the next day and I just, I got really tired. I began to feel hopeless. I remember just sitting in, it was social studies class, one of my class, and I'm just so tired. And I don't remember anything the teacher said. And I'm sitting there realizing I don't remember anything that he's taught up to that point. And I just, I was behind and I eventually, I just gave up. And so I started drinking. I started hanging out with boys, staying over with boys, older men, because they had, you know, a place I could stay. And then I ended up in Tacoma, Washington and homeless. And so I kind of bounced from place to place. And then I would just on, I, you know, I have a few memories, which is really, and I just feel like God really protected me during that time because I would just wander the streets of Tacoma as this young woman. And I, I mean, I just, I just feel like there was just this, I mean, yes, I self-destructed and yes, I, you know, I made all of these really poor choices and I lived in ways that God would never want. And yet I still feel like he had this protective arm over me. And every night I would say two things. I would pray. Because even though, so like when I was, I talked about getting, receiving salvation as that little girl. And I believe that that was very real, but I never had knowledge past that. So I had like this understanding that Jesus was my way to heaven, I had very confused ideas really as to who God was. Like it was this idea that he was angry. Like I, I just felt like he was angry with me and like I couldn't measure up. But yet I had this sense that he was still with me. So it's kind of a weird mixture there. But every night as I went to bed, I would ask him for two things, that he would forgive me and that he would send someone to help me. And he did. He sent my husband. I have to hear that part of the story. And I think that there are so many women who can identify with what you're saying right now. So very often when we look at heroes of the faith or we look at women who writing or speaking, we think, oh, they've had such a stellar life. They were raised up in the Christian home and they had all of this poured into them. And sometimes that's the case. But so very often we don't know the story behind the story. Mm -hmm. And your testimony is so powerful because I believe it gives hope. Even though you yourself felt hopeless, you received mm -hmm. hope. Give that hope to others to say never quit, never, never under. Mm -hmm. 
the power of God to lift you up and sustain you. So God found you while you were never lost to God. Right. But every night, okay, Lord, help me, forgive me and help me. So mm-hmm. how did he help you? Where did it, it came through your husband. Let's hear a little bit about that story. Yes. So he was at the time, so he was working for Union Pacific Railroad. My husband's older than I am and he had a shop. So he in Oregon and then also in Seattle. So he traveled through and, and God just brought our past crossing and my husband. So he is a, a generous, caring man by nature, but I am so certain that God brought him to me one day. Let me just give you an example. One day he just gave me $200. At first, I'm like, why would you do that? Like, it kind of put up my defenses. What's your motive? What do you want from me? And he just gave it to me and he left. And that just rocked my world. And I've asked him later, why did you do that? And he said, well, you needed it. That was it. Like, he just, and if you look at it from just human perspective, because how often are we kind of cynical, right? When we see this, I mean, I was a mess. I was a foul mouth angry, the way I dress, like everything about me said, like cross over to the other side of the street, leave this woman alone. Right. And then here he gave me $200, not caring, like, what is she going to do with it? Right. Cause that could have been his perspective as well. And then he left, but then he just, he was, so we started out as friends and here's the thing too. He wasn't, my husband didn't know Jesus at the time. And so, but I still believe that God used him to bring me help, to bring me healing, to shift my world and, and to shift my thinking. My, he would take me out to breakfast. He took me golfing. And that was probably when I knew I loved him. Like when I first, and there's another story there too, but we don't have time. <laughs> Just how learning to trust him enough to let myself love him. But just this, when we went golfing and I, I think I was probably testing him in a way, he let me drive the golf cart and here I'm just street girl kind of, I just drove the cart all over being goofy and he didn't react. He wasn't embarrassed. He wasn't frustrated. You know, with the amount of rejection that you were probably used to and you were prepared for, you were mm-hmm. the other shoe to drop and you're testing this guy, like, is he for real? And I totally believe you that when the people of Israel cried out for a deliverer and, and a rescue, God sent Moses, you know, the, uh, a murderer, an unlikely guy. And sometimes in life, when we cry out for rescue or deliverance, we don't always recognize what that looks like in your situation. Mm-hmm. It was your husband because God was working a plan. But how did your husband in, how did he get saved? How did that happen? So that's a whole, oh my goodness, Dom. We should just like, we can talk for a week about just all God has done and and just how, even in how he's done this, just how he's uh, changed how we view humanity. But so my husband, he, one day he said, I'm going to Nebraska. Do you want to come? Now we weren't married at the time. I, I will say I did not trust men at the time at all, which shocks me. And I'm like, yeah, sure. I'll come. And that really shocks me that I did. And so he moved me to Nebraska. God kind of, you, you mentioned Moses, right. And how God pulled the people out of Egypt, right. And brought them, he was bringing them to the promised land, but there's this shift. He's pulling them out of this 
paganism and sin and destruction. And he's slowly bringing them to this place of healing and restoration into himself. And so God did that through my husband. Well, simultaneously, God was bringing my husband to salvation. And so once I got my feet under me and then we started going to church, and it was like that little spark that God had planted when I was a little girl, all of a sudden it just exploded. And I just, I was just obsessed with the Bible and I just wanted to be in the church because it just felt like this family to me. And my husband would get frustrated like I could sense there was in him, like when I would talk about, in fact, one time he said, is that all you want to do is read the Bible? And that kind of shocked me. And I didn't understand like this tension we felt. And we went through a difficult period in our marriage and I read this book and now this was 20 years ago. And so I can't speak on its theology now because I don't remember, but I remember how God used it in my life. And it was called The Way of Agape. And the premise of the book is that you give all of your feelings to God. So as my husband and I were going through this difficult time in our marriage, and I didn't realize, it's because I'm going through all of this deep healing is a big part. And then two, because God is doing a work in my husband's life to bring him to salvation. So we both have all of our wrestling and struggling, right? And so it's about giving your feelings to God so that you're not exploding on the other person, which is what I previously did. And so I would sit there, Lord, I'm angry. I'm hurt. I'm whatever it was. And I would go through all of my emotions. And then I would say, Lord, and take these from me, take my anger, take my fear, take my frustration, take my sorrow and give me your love for my spouse. And I would pray that and walk through those steps sometimes multiple times in a day. And he has shared later that he began to see the change in me. So now here's the thing. God had, had implanted that seed of salvation when I was a little girl and he was doing this healing, but it's this moment that he taught me how to live in it and how to live in his grace and how to live empowered by his Holy spirit, because I hadn't learned how to live in the pow resurrection power, like scripture talks about. And once I began doing that, my husband said he saw a difference in me and he no longer needed to retreat is how he put it. Cause that used to be, he used to shut down, which triggered my abandonment and my rejection feelings. And so I would lash out and that would push him away further. And it was just this ugly mess. And, and all of a sudden I began living in the power of Christ, not because of anything like that was all him because I look back now and sometimes I wish I could do it more consistently like I did in that moment. But because Christ was bringing my husband to salvation, I feel like he just gave me an extra outpouring of himself. And he just took over during that period. Beautiful. And then, yeah. And then one day, I mean, it was this process with my husband that there were steps. But then one day my husband's at church and the pastor talked about living authentically. And he realized that he wasn't, he was one person at work. He was one person at home. He was, you know, he wasn't, and he wasn't, and that's what the gospel does. It helps us live out our, our ideals, like the way we want to live. We know in our own strength, apart from God, we, we can't love and be there for our family. And like we want to be, we need Christ. And so that was a moment when my husband realized, okay, I need Christ. And then in 2002, he accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. He was baptized. I kneeled outside, like we had a little tub on the stage of our church. And I just sobbed because it was this moment of 
God just seeing his hand on all these years and all this healing and, and all of this life change and recognizing our marriage from that moment on would never be the same. That's a beautiful testimony. And I love the, first of all, the seed of Jesus Christ is incorruptible. Isn't it awesome that your husband could see the outward expression of that inward mm -hmm. And the Bible says it's the kindness of God, the kindness of Christ mm -hmm. that brings men to repentance. And you experience that. But also the cycle that can happen in marriages, this rejection cycle that mm -hmm. would be done, and the power of Christ to end that. I want to hear about your latest devotional. It's called Anchored and Secure. Man, if anybody can write about that, you certainly <laughs> I know that you are not an overcomer by accident. There is a deep, intentional, massive work mm -hmm. of Christ that has happened inside of you to, to be able to speak. Mm -hmm. I mean, everything is perfect in our lives, but also being a survivor, I, I can recognize the deep work. Your devotional is called Anchored and Secure, 60 Days of Resting in His Grace. Tell us more about that and then tell us how people can find you. Absolutely. So that devotional is actually put my ministry released at Holy Love Ministry. So that's W-H-O-L-L-Y because we are holy, known, and holy loved. And so it's, it's a compilation written by numerous authors. And it's really to help women. We, the deeper we anchor ourselves in grace, it's all grace. When we recognize that Christ paid for everything, What's your definition of grace? So the listener knows exactly. Oh my goodness. Okay. So it's not just the grace that saves us where grace that saves us is saying that, yes, we are sinners. We need Jesus Christ. We cannot live and love like we desire and like God desires for us on our own. And Jesus paid, he came and he died for our sins, to pay for every wrongdoing we've ever done, to break the power of sin over our lives and to move us from death to life and life with Christ. But that is just the beginning of grace. The, because once we begin, once we recognize we are made who we are because of Jesus Christ, we didn't earn it. We can't earn it. There's nothing we could have done. And yet there's also nothing that we could have done that would have turned him away. And in our future. So when we begin to feel rejected or we act out or, or anything that we think that would put us in shame, right? Or, or back to that old label of who we used to be. It's that moment of saying every day, I am not that woman anymore. And, and yes, I, I messed up here. Yes. I yelled at my kids. Yes. I did this with my husband, whatever it was, but that just proves what I already know that I need Jesus. Well, guess what? I have him. So I'm going to confess that to him. I'm going to learn to live in his power. And, and here's the thing, and I know we're short on time, so I just want to say this one thing. When Paul addressed sin, he did it from an identity plate. He always began with identity. You are no longer a child of darkness. You are a child of the day. You are a child of the light. You are redeemed. You are adopted. You are chosen. So living in grace is living in that identity from a place of victory and learning to walk in that. Beautifully said, and we're going to close with that. Uh, but for all of the listeners, 
if you don't know that grace of Jesus Christ, this could be your day to find that because that grace, that, that spiritual force, that supernatural power, knowing your identity is secure in Jesus. Well, there's no other way to live in victory. There's no other way to be an overcomer without that. We invite you to learn more about that. You can reach me at Dawn at DawnScottDamon.com. I'm pastor of Tribes Church, and you can find me there too at TribesChurch.tv. And Esther, modern day Esther, woman of God and woman who's searching for God, this is your moment. Such a time as this. Jennifer Slattery, so wonderful to have you on. And we will be talking again. Hey, you know what? In closing, I already said I was going to close, but I'm going to do this one too. After they do 60 days of resting and abiding in grace, then they can do the 60-day freedom challenge. Nice. Uh, breaking the chains that bind us and breaking those cords. It's a both-and world. We need to rest in God, and then we need to also allow him to break those chains off of us. Amen. Set us free. Amen. You know what, ladies? You know what, modern Esther? God's got a call for your life, too, and you might be on the run but you can still hear his voice saying, stop, I've got a claim to your life. And I hope you hear that today. This is Don Scott Damon saying, Esther, it's your moment. God bless you. I hope you enjoyed the show today. If you found value, make sure that you visit ariseester.captivate.fm. Like us, love us, and review us. And hey, want to join the movement? Visit us on the Arise movement.com to get connected. And for more information about me, your freedom coach and host, visit freedomgirlsisterhood.com. And while you're there, take the 60-day freedom challenge. You'll be so glad you did. Until we meet again, keep rising. This is your moment.